As you guys are sitting down, I'd love to uh, also recognize, if you're part of the mentor leaders operation that's here this morning, would you just stand right where you are? I wish we had more time, but just stand. I'd like to at least recognize. These are uh, our brothers and sisters that have served with us in Africa. Uh, I mean, in Haiti, first, I mean, David parachuted in last year, basically, and helped us get supplies. And then these young men and women have been uh, working in Togo, Africa, uh, have been there. They're going back this year. They've come together this weekend just to dream and to pray uh, and to seek God's face uh, for what the vision for uh, Togo, Africa is for this next year. So if, uh, if you get a chance to hug one of these guys on the neck, uh, thank you guys so much for serving and being our hands and feet in, in Africa as well. So thanks, guys. Um, I was part of the board meeting with David uh, Whetstone, David, who's the uh, founder of Mentor Leaders, uh, Friday night, and it was just awesome to see how God uh, is, you know, I've heard somebody say this, if you're doing what God is already doing, you don't even have to ask for it to be blessed. It's already blessed. So when you go into the middle of nowhere, Africa, and then you keep going another 12 hours, uh, which is where David has found himself, uh, God is there. He's with those people, and so I just saw it on paper uh, God's blessings just summed up in a spreadsheet. So it was exciting to see what God has done, excited to see what God is going to be doing uh, with them. My name is Darren, and I am the pastor here. I'm so thankful that you came. Uh, we're going to uh, just dive into the Word just a little bit. We're, you know, it's going to be a really quick steak uh, lunch, a little bit better than Golden Corral, but not quite Morton's. That's where we're going. So, um, but we're going to get there, but just know that if, you, if you're visiting with us, you've never been before, we'd love to have a record of your visit. And there's going to be little cards on the ends of the aisles. And at the, uh, at the very end, when we um, receive our offering, um, that you can just put that in there. And we'd love to, again, just have a record that you were here, be able to let you know what's going on, uh, not only here in, in, in the States, a conduit of his love here, but around the world as well. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, and uh, go to Second Corinthians with me. We is about to hit the ground running. We talked about it. We're like, how do we do this? We got so much to say. But I'm like, you know, you make time for what you prioritize. And I appreciate the idea of missions, plural. But we have a mission, singular. And that is to take the gospel to the world. Is it to alleviate suffering? Or is it to preach the gospel? The answer, yes. Because the gospel alleviates suffering. That's why you can be in the midst of such suffering and they sing and, and worship for joy like you've never seen before. I mean, it's because God is in that. So that is our mission. It is our goal. And as the gospel changes somebody from the inside out, it's amazing how an entire village, an entire community, an entire nation can change. We are the beneficiaries of a nation that was founded with Christians, with uh, uh, the gospel, with Christian principles. And we've seen how that can make a nation great, and we can see that in other nations, Haiti, Africa, and ultimately, the Lord says that when he returns, that the government will be on his shoulders, and boy, will that be a great nation. Worldwide, Jesus coming back, open up a can of whoop God, setting up shop in Jerusalem, and it's, it's, it's coming. <laughs> there will come a day, and in the meantime, it's our job to uh, preach the gospel, the gospel, not the social gospel, the gospel. And I tell you what, it's just a lot easier to preach it when they got some food in their tummies. And it's a lot easier to mentor them when uh, they, they just got a little helping hand with them. So that's what we're doing. Second Corinthians 10, four, uh, verse 3. For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. 
The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We have been talking for the past three weeks about the real battle. The question of if Jesus declared victory, it is finished 2,000 years ago. Why do I feel so bloody sometimes? Why do I feel like I'm getting my rear end kicked? And, and we don't have time to go over it, but I encourage you to go to our website and download the podcast and see what we talked about. But we identified who the enemy is, why it's happening to us. And this last week, we, just, we identified where the enemy is at, which is one of the main lines of offense in his world is in our minds. We, we, Paul says it's uh, imaginations. It's those things that we're cooking up in our heads. That it's, it's the arguments that would set themselves above the knowledge of Christ. Those are all areas where the enemy is on the offense in our lives, in our minds. So this week, we, we ended it last week. Okay, great. We know where he is. How do, what do we do? Now what? How do we fight this enemy that, that Peter says is your enemy? First Peter 5, 8, your enemy goes about like a roaring lion. Gage and Sarah were in, um, if you've been around, you know them. They were, they were in uh, New Mexico a couple, last month or the month before. And hiking with family and Gage's dad was there. And they had realized that they were being stalked by a mountain lion. Now, mountain lions are mean. Uh, and they eat humans. And, and they're being stalked by this lion until, for lack of a better word, till Gage put a cap in his butt. Till Gage pulled out the weapon of his warfare, which was, what did we decide it was, Beretta? Uh, and and uh, defeated this lion that was stalking him. Fell off a cliff and, and uh, everybody's alive. Because Gage used the right weapon. Now you don't want to take a butter knife to a fight with a lion. And a lion stalks us in much the same way as the enemy does, which is just waits for that opportune moment. It's why you're driving down the road, and all of a sudden you think this thought and think, man, where'd that come from? How did that happen? And, we're not, and those thoughts that, that come out of nowhere where the enemy gets to us, how do we fight that in our lives? Paul tells us in Ephesians, just a couple pages over in Ephesians 6, when he tells us again, he starts talking about the weapons of our warfare. Man, they're not carnal. And a reminder, if you're fighting with anybody, your family, your spouse, your co-workers, or who, if you're fighting with them, you're fighting the wrong battle. Because the weapons are not carnal. They're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. But Paul tells us what those weapons are in, in Ephesians 6, and he talks about the armor of God. And, and I know that those... Sometimes I think that Sunday school does more harm than good to us, at least the church I grew up in, because you dress up in costumes, because uh, we had, uh, well, we didn't have Halloween, we had Hallelujah Night, you know what I'm saying? And so, and, and we had to dress up as Bible characters, and, and one of the most popular Bible characters is the Armor of God guy, right? And, and so you had your little shield, you know, and you, but it, it's, Paul is speaking in metaphor, not that there is an actual, that you hold up a shield and that does something for you, but faith. When you're being shot at by the enemy, you know, the LaRocca family that has been so pounded this past year, what do they hide behind? Their faith. I understand why this is happening, but that faith is what absorbs those fiery darts of the enemy. But he goes on to say that our weapon, there's, everything in here is defensive, but there is one weapon. It is the sword of the Spirit, verse 17, 
which is the word of God. We got one weapon. Now, here's the thing. The sword of the Spirit, okay, doesn't mean that it's, you know, the, the speaking in tongues sword or it's the spiritual gift sword. The sword of the Spirit doesn't mean that that's the weapon. It is, I was talking to Kyle this morning, that the weapon of the Marine is the M16, okay? So this would be the weapon of the Spirit is the Word of God. It's the weapon that God himself uses. That's why in Revelation 1, and again, I believe in 21, where it says when Jesus is returning, that there is a sword coming out of his mouth. Not, not, not a literal sword, that's kind of gross, but it's the metaphor of that that is his word. And his word is our weapon. It's no wonder that from the beginning of time in Genesis 3, when the, when the enemy, when Satan says to Eve, did God really say that? Trying to muddy up the word. In uh, Daniel 11-ish, you can write it down and go home later, there's this prophecy that seems a little cryptic, but it talks about the future. And it talks about that the king of the north, when he comes down, and what he's going to do is make war on the covenant. He's going to be successful, but he's going to come back and attack God's word. He's going to destroy and defile God's word. It's what he did to Jesus when he said, hey, Jesus, you can, it says that I'll give, you know, he'll give his angels charge over thee. Just jump off this cliff. He's using the word out of context in error to defeat you and I. And that word is our only weapon. In the war, which is for your transformation. In Romans 12, if you go with me there, it tells us the entire goal of this operation. When he says that, I'll let you get time to get there. He says, Romans 12, leave me time to get there. How about that? He says that we ought to renew our minds. He says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and know what God's will is for your life. Understand this, that one of the first things we have got to do in any spiritual battle, we said we're going on the offense and conduit in 2011, the first thing we've got to do is start with the high places. We talked about it last week, Hezekiah, it was the first thing he did, was he took down the high places. And it was a picture of what we have to do, those things that would exalt themselves above the knowledge of Christ. We've got to tear them down. We start there. That's why it says here that we have to transform ourselves. How? by the renewing of our mind. Which says to me, by the way, that my mind at some point in my life was new. Renew means making it new again. Some point in my life, my mind was new. Jesus said that, he gives us a little hint when he says you have to become like little children again to enter the kingdom of God. So often we think of spirituality as adding things to. If I do this extra and do that and do this and do that, then I am more spiritual. And I want you to know that I think spirituality is oftentimes about cutting things off, cutting things away. Those lies that we have believed that have put our mind in a position. If I, if I tell Ethan, man, you're awesome. You know what he says, my five-year-old son? Yes, I tell my little girls, you're beautiful, and they say, I know. Because they haven't begun to believe the lies 
that the enemy has been telling them, whether intentionally, whether unintentionally. We begin to hear lies over our lives and we begin to believe them. I'm not awesome. I'm an idiot. Those things that we, you know what I mean? I, I have no worth in my life. And it begins to rob and steal and kill in our relationships because I don't speak up anymore because I just don't feel like my opinion is worth anything. Or I feel like that I've been hurt before, so I'm not going to risk it that way. And I begin to you know, hold back. I don't believe that I have the ability to go do what God has called me to do. So I'm going to just sit here and wait. And it robs and it steals and it kills because we're believing a lie. Because that is not the truth. The truth is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The truth is, Paul tells us, or the writer of Hebrews, who might be Paul, says, you are holy. You're already awesome. Not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ did for you. You don't have to walk around like, a, you know, oh, I'm so woe is me. Because God says, you're holy. Can you believe that? But what we've done is we've exchanged the truth of God, which is that you're holy, that you are awesome, that you do have value, that you do have worth, for a lie which says that I am not those things. And Romans 1 tells us that that is the beginning of the end in any of our lives. He says in Romans 1, the descent into sin begins with they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And so our spirituality means we've got to start with what are the lies that I am believing in my life? And then what does the word say about them? There's this thing that's happened in America, this, this push for authenticity. And it happens a lot in our small groups, which is this, man, I'm just, this is what I'm struggling with, and I'm so, this is awful, and just who I am. And it's, basically we go in and we kind of mentally vomit. And then that's, and it's, then we feel it's kind of cathartic because I got it out of my system. And, but I feel like that that is going halfway. Because David did talk about how sometimes he was struggling. The enemy was bearing down. I'm about to get my rear end handed to me. These awful things are happening. And then, almost always in any psalm, it then turns with, but there you are, God. You are my deliverer. You are my... So it's like when we go to that moment, it's like there's two extremes on this. There's the extreme of, I can't ever say anything is going wrong because that's not faith. Or the other extreme, which is, oh, everything's just so awful. I heard a story on Thursday... Uh, a guy named Jerry Rankin said he was on a flight in India, and he said that behind him a row was a, uh, a lady that was obviously a little uh, a village lady, and she was older, and that it had gotten dark after takeoff, and so she was freaking out, how will the pilot know where to go? And he said it was obviously her son was trying to console her and say, they've got instruments, they can make this happen. They can. Nothing was working until the son said, okay, mama, look out and see that, the wing out there. Do you see that light on that side? And she did. And then he said, now look out on the other wing. You see that light on that side? She said, yeah, I do. As long as we stay between those two lights, we'll get to where we're going. He's got to keep it between the lights. And I would say to you that we just got to keep it between the lights. We just got to keep on target, keep it balanced. And the Lord gives us two pictures of how to use the word as a weapon in our lives, your lives. And I encourage you to write this down, maybe make a couple notes, go home and, and dig into it, research it, and see what the Lord would say to you. But he gives us two pictures of the principles that we're talking about. I love the Old Testament for that reason alone. For every New Testament principle, there's an Old Testament picture. Number one is this in the book of Joshua. The people of Israel have 
cross the river. They're about to go into the promised land, and they get to the stronghold of all strongholds, Jericho. And they are now, uh, in their mind, monumentally hosed. And God tells Joshua to do something very interesting and intriguing. He says to him, march around the city once a day. All, however many millions of you there are. Just march around it. This would have taken a while, by the way. And the entire walk, they're going to be reminded exactly of how hosed they are. This is not, this is not going to, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, Joshua, but ain't nothing happening. Day number one. Day number two. And on the seventh day, they said, now you're going to go around it seven times. And on the seventh time of the seventh day, I want you to proclaim the victory. But there is no victory, right? They're marching around a wall. They're just walking. It's like us walking around Independence High School and declaring victory. And it looked ridiculous. And it looked silly until the wall fell down. The seventh time on the seventh day, what they were doing was proclaiming not their circumstance that was right in front of them, which is we're screwed, but what God had said about it. Homo legea is the word for confession in the book of Hebrews when he says that he is the high priest of our confession. Confession simply means one thing. I am saying, it means saying what God has already said. I am agreeing and saying the same thing that he said. So it's not name it and claim it. It's just saying what God has already said. I don't understand what's happening. I feel weak, but Joel says, let the weak say I am strong. So that's what I'm going to say. And I would encourage you as parents, when you're praying for your children, don't just leave it with, God, if you see these kids, they're awful. I have no control. I mean, there's things that we tend to pray because what we tend to pray and give them is the record of what we see in front of us, and then we stop. What if you just prayed Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3 over your kids? Just put his name or her name in that and, and, and let that be your prayer to, for your child. And you, you might say, Darren, I appreciate that, but I don't see my kid that way. It's good. You don't have to. It's God. You're just agreeing with what he said. Pray those prayers over your children, mom and dad. Pray those prayers over yourself, over your ministry, because you're basically suggesting and saying one thing, and that is that this is out of my control. I don't understand it. But this is what God says about it, and so I'm going to proclaim the victory. That's number one in the book of Joshua. Number two, right next door in the book of Judges, is a story about a little guy named Gideon. And Israel has, again, found themselves in the position they often found themselves in, which is a position where they, were, they need a lot of help, and they need it fast. The Midianites had surrounded them. And Gideon was scared and hiding in a cave. And the Lord found Gideon, and he said to him, in Judges, I believe it's chapter 6, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. He was, not, <laughs> he was not calling it as it was. He was calling it as it could be. He wasn't identifying the weakness in Gideon. He was identifying the potential that God saw in him. Gideon was not a mighty man of valor as far as the circumstances, but God said, you are a mighty man of valor. And he told Gideon, after Gideon did what often we did, well, he says, Gideon, I'm, the Lord is with you. And he said, well, that's great. Why is this happening? Why is this going on? Why, why is this going wrong in my life? And after this exchange, 
the Lord said to Gideon, now here's what you got to do. Start with the images. Don't go to the enemy yet. Start with the images in your own backyard. The image of Baal. Take ten of your men. Ten was a number of completion. It's, uh, it's ten commandments. It's over and over again in Scripture. Take ten of your men with you, and listen to this, and take the oxen, your dad's best oxen, bullock in the King James, and plow that thing down. Pull it down. So Gideon was agreeing with what God had said, proclaiming that, and then he took this bull and plowed down that image. So not only do I have to proclaim this, I just got to plow through it. I've got to, over and over and over again, every day. The circumstances around me are falling apart, but I can lean on the word and plow through it every day. I'm reading the biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it is completely owning me. But I'm at the part where he is in a Nazi prison. Bonhoeffer is a theologian respected in way a lot of circles, but he was, his time was during the Nazi rule, the rise of Hitler. And I'm reading, I'm in the chapter where he is in a Nazi prison. Dietrich had over the years taught his students at the seminary and at the church to every day to meditate on just one scripture. What does that scripture mean for you? Sit there in silence and think about that one verse every day, 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes in the night, plowing through it. And so it was that in this prison, his first letter home to his mom after being in a Nazi prison for 12 days, saying that he could hear the screams of the torture, his own torture going on. And he writes a letter to his parents and he says, Dear mom and dad, I want you to know that it's not that bad. That it's not as terrible, that these hard beds, you can really get a lot of sleep on it from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. He's got a, in, his, in his cell a bed that is basically a piece of plywood and a, quote, necessary bucket. Those are the two items. And so he would meditate on the scriptures day and night. It says that he kept that discipline that he had learned throughout the years, kept the discipline every day. And I believe that what he did there was, just like what we experience in Haiti, is that the circumstances, understand this, the war is not for your comfort, it's for your transformation. God is going to call us to do things in life sometimes that are very uncomfortable. But we can, in the middle of those things, be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we could write a letter home from Haiti and say, you know, that was actually pretty awesome. All the stinky trash and gross things, it was awesome because the Holy Spirit is in us. And in our daily lives, the things that you're facing, the sickness, the, th the, the real things that I understand, the mortgage that, is, that may be being foreclosed on, the sickness that's happening, the, the, the problem that you're struggling trying to figure out how to deal with what's going on with my children, that there is a real God with real solutions. And it starts with, number one, you proclaiming the victory what is it that God says? I'm going to say homo legeos. I'm going to say the same thing that God is saying. And then, number two, I'm going to just keep plowing through it. One day, two day, ten days. I'm going to just keep plowing through it. And some of you might be thinking, Darren, I appreciate this whole plowing through thing, but that doesn't seem very fair to me. Every, I mean, I'm doing this every day. It's every day. Nothing is happening. Psalm 129, Jesus 
in a, in a messianic prophecy in verse 2. It talks about how the plowmen plowed his back. The furrows plowed through his back for you, for I, for our sins specifically. And so while I think that sometimes I don't understand this whole plowing through thing, what I can know is that Jesus himself was plowed on my behalf. That bull, that bullock, that perfect sacrifice for me, for my sins individually, it really isn't asking that much for me to wake up in the morning and to go to the word, just one verse and just meditate on it all day long. I know some of you, listen, I know uh, David Deloach is here, and I know that he tells me that he's got a, a cassette player in his car. Kids, they used to have these things called cassettes. That before, and, and he just listens to the Bible all day. He's listening to it, meditating on it. And, and understand this. This is not a religious work. Where you get into error, where you get into the ditch, is when you separate this from the relationship that is with Christ. It becomes then a, some sort of a cosmic slot machine that I just crank the, the lever and what, see what God can send my way. When it's in relationship, and I'm just agreeing with what God said, it's an act of faith, it's an act of worship. Saying what God says, proclaiming it, plowing through day after day. I got one more story, and then, and then we're going to end. Sandy Anderson is a missionary. I just read this story in Zaire. It's been about 15 years ago. And they did this convocation celebrating the organization that she worked for, had been there for 100 years. And there's a celebration, and the village was there, and 80% of the people in this tribal area where she was at had accepted Christ over the last 100 years. It had become a part of who they were. And as they were celebrating this, a man stood up, a very, very elderly man, to say, I, I, I'm sorry, it was kind of a little bit out of order. He said, I have, I have to tell you something. I, need, I feel like I need to say it now because he's old. He says that when this group first came here 100 years ago, we didn't know, we'd never heard any of this stuff before. We didn't know whether this was true. And we thought the only way to know if this is how to live is to see how they die. How do they, do they really believe this stuff? And the only way to know that is to watch them die. And as sick as it was to say this, he said that the people began to slowly and systematically poison all of the missionaries, the original missionaries that were there. Their missionaries, their children, poisoned them dead. And after the last one had died off, they had a little tribal council and said, wow, we watched how they went through this. We saw that they didn't turn their back on Christ. We saw that they maintained their beliefs. They held to what they were saying. And from that moment, those 13, 14 people that had died, 80% of this tribal village is now Christian. They're following the Lord 100 years later. What struck me about that was it was 100 years and no one had ever told that story. No one had ever heard that story. And what I'm saying that for you and for I is this. When you say, Darren, you don't, I've, been, I've tried this. I've, I've been proclaiming and I've been plowing and nothing's happening. Or maybe I got a little bit of victory and then it's gone. I nothing is happening. And I would like to just suggest to you that you don't know who's watching you. And you may never know this side of heaven. Who's watching you? What Christ is doing in you. And I'm not suggesting that you deny your circumstances or some sort of Christian science 
you know, stuff. I'm just saying, agree with what God has said about you. Hold fast to that and just keep plowing through it, knowing that whatever the result here is on this side of heaven, it may not be comfortable, but it will be transformational. And in 100 years, maybe 10 years, maybe five years, we don't know, you'll really get a picture of, of what was going on, why it was going on, and what God was doing inside of that circumstance in your life while you proclaimed your victory, while you plowed through it, knowing that God ultimately will get the glory. I promise you that not a single one of those original missionaries in heaven a hundred years later, which is like a snap of time, would say, man, that really stunk. can't believe that happened. Oh, no, no. I assure you that when, when it says we're going to be around the throne saying, righteous and true are your judgments, O God, it's because we're going to be going, that was awesome. I didn't even think of that. That was so awesome, God. Cool, the way that that worked out and this all tied together and, and meeting these tribal people that have been saved over the years and gathering around the throne, worshiping side by side, maybe even with the ones who poisoned them. Worshiping. Because God ultimately, always, will get the glory. As we worship, we're going to land this thing right now. I want you to know that I get it, and I know that there are some people... I know your stories. I spend a lot of time with you guys through the week because I want to know what's going on. I want to know your stories. And I know that there are real battles going on, real attacks in your life. And I might suggest to you today that if you're not already proclaiming over your health or proclaiming over your family or proclaiming over your finances what it is that God says, and I'm not going to give you a list of pocket promises, okay, to staple to your you know, door, to tape to your mirror or your refrigerator. Ephesians, Paul says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you have to allow the Holy Spirit to do this work in your life. And my encouragement is for you to let the Spirit tell you what scriptures, what promises that you are to hold on to, that you are to proclaim. And then, man, just get your plow and plow through it every day, every day, every day. And know that and hope, hopefully you feel this, hopefully you know this if you're part of our fellowship, that we're here to plow right alongside of you. Through the ups, through the downs, through the halfway in-betweens, this is a journey that God has called us all to, and we're here for you. We are proclaiming the truth about you. We are going to plow right next to you because we believe that you're worth it. <laughs> believe that God believes you're worth it. And ultimately, that we'll all get to celebrate just like we did with the Laracas yesterday at the airport watching Matt who was told he was going to die a year ago, 12-year-old Matt, coming back from Baltimore a week after brain surgery. Alive. Okay. Because in that case, that was the story that God wrote about him as his mama and his daddy proclaimed the victory. And just you talk about somebody who knew how to plow through it. Man, the LaRocca family, whew. This is good stuff. Proclaim it and plow through it. Understand? Father, we give ourselves to you. Thank you so much for your word, for your promise, and for your weapon. That as I move into the, whatever the battle is in me, that I have a weapon that is your word. Whatever else I might try, the one thing I know that you said is the weapon you used yourself, Lord, is your word. And that is the weapon that we choose to use, that we can renew our minds, that we can become like children again, cutting away between the soul and the spirit, Hebrews promises us that the sword of the spirit will shave away those fears. It'll shave away those insecurities, those worthless feelings, 
cut them away, God, with your word as we begin to exchange the truth of God or the, the lies of the Satan for the, for the Lord. Exchange those lies for your truth. We ask it in your name. Amen.